Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, verses 13 through 30. Uh, that's on page 984 and 985 in the Pew Bible, if you guys want to turn there and read with me. And while you're turning there, uh, go back with me in your mind's eye. Jesus has made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, he's been teaching the people there, and he's challenging them, and his challenges have become more direct and more directed toward the religious leaders, and that's where we're going to read today. Beginning in chapter 13, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make, sing make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar... He is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift of the altar or the, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So, so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of blood of the prophets. Matthew chapter 6, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Be in verses 1 through 4 and then 16 through 18. Before we do anything else, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for everything that you have given us, Lord, and everything that you continue to give us. Thank you for Beaver Baptist Church, Lord. Thank you for what it means to so many in here. Thank you for the people, Lord. Pray that we would have a sweet service this morning, Lord, that we wouldn't want to leave. We just want to love on each other, Lord. 
pray that you would use me for your word to be taught and preached, Lord. That it would be nothing from me but everything from you, Lord. And I pray that you would convict the hearts of those that need conviction, Lord, and that even today that lost souls will be saved. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Before we get into it, I just want to say uh, thank you to everybody. Uh, as Pastor Shane said, I'm an intern here, so I just want to say thank you to the church for allowing me to intern. Um, I just want to say thank you to uh, Pastor Shane for giving me this opportunity. Um, thank you to the praise team. They did a great job. I told them uh, Wednesday night, I said, give me a song right before I come up where I can be pumped up. They did it, so <laughs> they did it. Um, thank you to Uncle Chris for reading. Um, and Pastor Shane, I'll probably have us out of here by no later than 2, 2.30. So we should be good. Um, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount over the past several months. We've been going over the Beatitudes or the attitudes that ought to be, the characteristics of a kingdom citizen, the attitudes that you should find present in a follower of Christ. We covered how we are salt and light, how we have an impact on those around us. We studied Christ coming not to abolish the law, but coming to fulfill it. Studied issues such as anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and loving your enemies. Where the Beatitudes are saying, act like this, and this will be your reward. Our text today is saying, do not act like this, for then you will receive no reward. If those are the attitudes that ought to be, then this, these attitudes here, or ones that ought not to be in us. Let's read the text here together. We'll read it all. Matthew 6, 1 through 4, and 16 through 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now we jump to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, if you were listening or reading along when Uncle Chris read the scripture, you probably heard the word hypocrite a lot, and you heard it in our text today. I'm going to read some of the times that Jesus said hypocrite. He said it four times during the Sermon on the Mount and numerous times after that. In verse 2 today, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Matthew 6, 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. And then Matthew 7, 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The word hypocrite in the Greek language was originally used to describe Greek actors who played different roles, played multiple roles, and they would use different masks 
to play both of those roles. And Jesus used this word to describe the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees would put their mask on. When in front of people, they were a different person, the mask comes on. And Jesus called them out for a particular form of hypocrisy, doing the right things for the wrong reasons. This is the kind of hypocrite Jesus was describing. I'm going to give you a description here. This is the person who loves to remind everybody of the rules. They go around judging people and telling them they are wrong and that when in reality they're just as bad, they often minimize their own sin and maximize the sin of others. Jesus had something to say about them in Matthew 7, 3 through 5. He said, why do you see the speck that is in your, own, in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your, eye, your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. They often project the, their own disgust at their own sin, at someone else's sin, on another sinner. They hide their problems but point out the problems of others. This is the kind of hypocrite Jesus said the Pharisees were. Does anybody know anybody like that? Don't elbow anybody. I'm watching. Um, I do. But the Pharisees thought that Jesus was a hypocrite in his own right. Matthew 5, 17 through 20, Jesus reveals that he does not oppose the law or the prophets. This is what the religious leaders assume. They assume he had to oppose the law and the prophets because he did not hold to their oral tradition. See, what the religious leaders had done is they had taken the oral tradition, these rules that helps them keep the law, and they had elevated it to the law itself. They held up man's law up to God's law, and they considered them equal. Jesus, according to the religious leaders, was a heretic. He clears it up in verse 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus did not oppose the law like they thought, but he did come to reveal the purpose of the law. That was his point. See, the Pharisees had missed the point of the law. The law was not given to make you feel good about yourself or compare yourself to others. In fact, it was the opposite. The law was given to show us our sin, and to compare us to the perfect, holy, righteous standards of God. Romans 3.20 says, For by the works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. They missed the entire point of the law. So when they thought Jesus opposed it, it was really them who didn't even understand it. Outwardly, the Pharisees were righteous, and inwardly, they were wicked. Uncle Chris read those verses this morning, um, the, the woes, the seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. We're going to read three of them here, or two of them here. Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and then the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Outwardly, they seem to keep the law. See, we have the benefit of hindsight because we, can, we have the Bible. We can look back and we can see the, the issues that the Pharisees had. But at the time, they were the cream of the crop. The, there's a reason we call them the religious leaders of the day. But Jesus exposed them for the frauds that they were. See, the service of God included a good deal more than could be determined by a single reference to the law. So Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, turned to some practical matters that appear when people are trying to put their willingness to serve God into practice. He mentions three activities, almsgiving, which is giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. And they're all very important uh, in, in Jewish piety, and two of those we cover here today. Pastor Shane will cover the other here shortly. But today we cover almsgiving and fasting. And there's a few points that I think stick out in this text here today. The first point, almsgiving with the right intent is a necessary and important spiritual discipline. The Bible is always held to the importance of giving to the needy. Deuteronomy 15.11 says, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Psalm 41.1 Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble the Lord delivers him. The next one, Proverbs 19.17 Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. The Lord has always cared about needy people and the act of giving to them, but the problem occurs with us within the act of giving itself. We might start out with right intentions, but oftentimes we end with having the wrong intentions. D.A. Carson says, much of our giving is less concerned with meeting needs and pleasing God than with earning a reputation for generosity and piety. And he's right. The act of giving is a righteous act all on its own, but instead of being focused on helping those we sought out to help in the first place, we become focused on our own righteousness and whether or not people see it. Our motives, our intent becomes flawed. Let's read verse 1 together. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, the back end of it, uh, one thing initially came to mind whenever I read this. I thought about how parents threaten to take away something that their kids care about in order to get them to behave. When I was younger... <laughs> <laughs> When I was younger, I had so many things, so many toys, anything you can imagine. So if I didn't do something I was supposed to do, my mom would let me know about it. It's not unlike today. And if she would threaten to take something away, I wouldn't really care that much. I mean, I had so much stuff, I could be entertained very easily. Um, so if she threatened to take one thing away, it just didn't really bother me. It didn't affect me that much. But as I got older, so did the stakes. 
So now I'm older, I have a phone, I have a car. And so whenever my mom says, Morgan Trace Moody, <laughs> if you don't pick up your dirty clothes, you ain't driving nowhere. What happens? I act right. When you threaten to take something away that you really care about, you act right. I didn't care what my mom did what my mom threatened to take away when I was younger, but I did when I was older. Because the things were more important to me, my car. Now, of course, that's not a perfect illustration because we don't just do things to get a reward from God. That's not what we're supposed to do. That's the wrong motive. I wanted to keep my car, so I did what I was asked. But we do things to please the Lord. My point is that the follower of Jesus is more interested in the blessings and the rewards of God than the, than the, uh, than the approval of man. The follower of Jesus is more interested in the blessings and rewards of God than the approval of man. Just a question to ask ourselves this morning is, what are we as followers of Christ more interested in? What matters to you more? Are we just giving to get something out of it? Are we giving only to get the reward? That's also a wrong motive. Verse 2, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. The trumpets Jesus mentioned here could be literal or metaphorical. See, the trumpets were played in the Jerusalem temple, and they would only be played when, when there was an urgent need. So, uh, and whatever you were doing, you'd drop it, and you'd run to the temple. So if I was a shop owner in Jerusalem, and I heard the trumpets go off, I'd close up shop, and I'd go to the temple and contribute in any way I can to the immediate need. Metaphorically, it's a bit easier to understand. Jesus could be saying, when you practice these righteous acts, cause no attention to yourself. Or in other words, don't toot your own horn if you did something righteous. Don't go around telling people that you did this in order to make yourself feel good. The back end of verse 2, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. It seems a bit confusing at first glance because you might ask, I thought he just said he will receive no reward from my Father who is in heaven. Well, that's right. This reward does not come from the Father. This reward is the approval of man. They sought out the approval of man. So Jesus said, that's what you get. That is their reward, that momentary temporal Approval is what they wanted in the first place. They wanted man's approval more than they wanted God's approval. So Jesus gave it to them. Verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, obviously, Jesus is not being literal when he says this. Uh, but if you notice, if you remember a, a few weeks ago, Pastor Shane taught on lust. And in Matthew 5, verse 30, he said this. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It's the second time that Jesus used a hand metaphor. Um, there's no significance in that. I just thought it was interesting. Um, but Jesus wasn't being literal in that case either. He was saying, 
do whatever you have to do to avoid sin. Go to the extreme to avoid sinning. He wasn't being literal in that case, and he's not in this case either. He's saying, he's not saying don't actually let your left hand not know what your right hand is doing. He's saying be private in your giving in the way that you give. And that privacy with no one knowing ensures that our giving is not prompted by the love of receiving praise from our peers. You give in secret and nobody knows. You can't do that and still seek to feel good about yourself by, from others' approval. Jesus here clearly shows that he cares about giving, but he doesn't command it. Why is that? It seems a bit odd that he wouldn't command it here. Well, he did in the scriptures that I referenced earlier. And it's obviously not that he doesn't care about needy or about giving. It's about the fact that he presupposes his followers are going to give. So we talked about the Beatitudes. If you have those characteristics, you're going, you're a, you're, if you have those characteristics, you're, you're, you're a believer. If you follow him, you're going to be a giver. If you're a believer, you're going to be a giver. That is the reason Jesus doesn't command us here in our text today. He presupposes that it's going, it's going to happen. If you're a follower, if you're a believer, you're going to give. If you're a believer and you exhibit those characteristics of a kingdom citizen, then you're going to give. Second point that I think we come from in this text today is fasting with the right intent is a necessary and important spiritual discipline. Let's read 16 through 18 again. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Similar to almsgiving, Jesus is not opposed to fasting at all. As a matter of fact, he encourages it as long as you have the right motive. He's not demeaning fasting here. He's once again presupposing that his followers will fast. What is fasting? Fasting is voluntarily going without food or any other regularly enjoyed good gift from God for the sake of some spiritual purpose. But just like with giving, the problem is not with fasting itself, it's with the intent. Fasting was more prominent back in the day than it is today, but what started as an act of spiritual discipline turned into an act of vain self-righteousness. The religious leaders during the time of Jesus would put on a pained face. They would keep themselves unwashed or unkept so that everybody knew that they were fasting. So what was once a sign of humiliation became a sign of self-righteous display. Unfortunately, the same thing occurs with us believers today. Maybe not in the exact same way. We're not going to sprinkle ashes on our head, but we will do other things. Whether it's to dress better than your brother or sister in Christ at church or um, having your Bible out in school for all to see, motives are on display. I know you're thinking, whoa, about the bringing the Bibles into school. There's absolutely nothing wrong with taking your Bible into school. I think you should. 
But the problem is that there's a natural progression because of our selfish motives. So you start just carrying your Bible in your backpack, you're reading it in class sometimes, and you know, people are looking and you're kind of feeling good. And then after that, you think, oh, okay, well, I'll just carry it in my hand through the halls and stuff. And then by the end of it, you're carrying the biggest book you've ever seen and then your Bible in this hand. And so you're kind of waddling down the school hallway and people are asking, hey, what's that? Oh, this is, this is my theology book. I read this between tests. No, you don't. The point is that these good things, things that we should do, giving, fasting, carrying your Bible into school, these good things that become tarnished because of our motives. We twist them into a device for our own glory rather than God's glory. Similar to our previous text, Jesus tells them that those who fast for self-righteous motives have already received their reward. Again, that reward they get is that self-gratification. So the question comes up again, is that more important to you than God's blessing? Is that more important to us as a body than the blessing of the Lord? Just like when he spoke about almsgiving, Jesus gave the command to not let anyone know that they were fasting. He told them to keep it a secret. So don't sprinkle ashes on your head. Clean yourself up and don't tell anybody. Keep it between you and the Lord. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. The third point that I think we get from today's text is without the right motive, acts of righteousness are all for nothing. And this is the main point of our text here today. Without the right motive, acts of righteousness are all for nothing. Almsgiving, prayer, fasting, they're all acts of righteousness on their own. They're all good things on their own. But we become so enthralled with our selfish goals that we might have lost sight of what should be our goal. The goal of pleasing the Father has been traded in for the goal of pleasing men. And from this wayward goal comes wayward actions. So when I give to the needy and I post a picture of myself feeding a homeless man, I'm glorifying myself. I'm not glorifying God. If I feed that harmless homeless man, but post a picture on Instagram and tarnish it, that man still eats. That man still gets fed. That doesn't go away. That man still gets fed. But as he gets physically fed, my flesh gets fed as well. As that man gets physically fed, my flesh, my, my sin, my sinful nature, my ego gets fed also. If I fast and tell my buddies that I'm fasting and talk about it all the time and talk about how, uh, how much I'm giving up for the Lord and how hungry I am, I've missed the mark. If I give with the right motive and I fast with the right motive, God will be glorified. And that is always the end goal in everything that we do, that God be glorified. There's some application points I don't want to get to today. The first one is 
give to the needy. Give to those that are less fortunate than yourself. No, we're not commanded to give into this text, but we are elsewhere. I'm not sure what giving to those who are less fortunate looks like for you. I don't know that. But I do know that it is a characteristic of a kingdom citizen. That's one thing I do know. Whatever it may be, let's do it. As a church, as a body of believers, let's do it. Let's give to those who are less fortunate than ourselves. Second point. Let's give things up for the Lord in order to become closer to him. If it's fasting and it's giving up food, then let's do it. If it's giving up something that's important to you, something that you might actually miss, something that is a big part of your daily life, then let's do it. For my family, it would be stop watching sports for a while. My mom just kind of had a heart attack when I said that. Something important in your life, in your family's life. Number three, do so with the right motive. Give in order to please the Lord, not to please yourself, not to please other people. Give in order to please the Lord, not to make yourself feel good. Fast in order to draw near to him, not to be seen as spiritual. Let's not do things out of self-righteous desire, but out of a desire to please him. These good, righteous things that we do, giving, fasting, praying, they're good things, but they become tarnished when we mess them up with our, our wrong motives. So fourthly, check your motives. Check the reasons you do things. Do you seek to please God or do you seek to please man? Are we, are we more concerned with how we look in the eyes of our peers or in the eyes of God? But how do we do that? How do we check our motives? I think there's a simple question that we can ask ourselves that will check our motives. Is Would I do this with nobody around, nobody watching, not a soul would know except you? And it would just be between you and the Lord. You get nothing out of it other than the pleasure of the Lord. Would I do this? If not, then you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons. You probably have selfish motives. You're probably doing it for your own glory and not God's. That's what happens with us often. And then lastly, don't be like the Pharisees. Pharisees didn't see the error in what they were doing, so Jesus pointed it out. Romans 10.3 says, For being ignorant in the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. That's who Paul's writing about. Maybe you've never seen the wrong in what you've done until today. Maybe you're still seeking to establish a righteousness of your own. Maybe today the Lord has opened your eyes to your own sin like he did with me. Jesus called out the religious leaders and they killed him for it. 
Luckily for us, that was all part of the plan. God knew that we were selfish, sinful, self-righteous beings. He knew that we couldn't meet his standard. So we were separated him from him. We were at enmity with God. So what did he do? He sent his son to earth. He became a man. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He fulfilled the law in every way, perfectly. He died a death upon the cross. And then on the third day, he rose. And he defeated sin and death with it. And he did that in order for you and I to have the potential to have a relationship with him. He lived the life we couldn't live and die the death that we should have died. So if you've never repented, if you've never done that, if you've never confessed your sins, turned from them, and trusted Christ's work on the cross as your own, I encourage you to do that today. Repent, turn from your sins, and trust Christ on the work, Christ's work on the cross as your own. Believe that he did it for you. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.